0: So today I'm here with Jaunty and I'm going to give him a, a few seconds to kind of introduce himself but we met uh, back when I was in high school through a couple of mutual friends and we to be honest we weren't really we haven't really been close at all but we kind of oh, reconnected yeah. over his love for podcasting <laughs> my love for podcasting and kind of this thing that I've started up <laughs> so we're yeah so we we kind of got in touch that way and so I'll give him a, a few minutes to kind of introduce himself.
1: Uh thanks. Um yeah, my name is John T. uh I like you said I'm, I met him in high school but you know, only recently recently uh reconnected. Um I've basically been doing trades since uh 2010. Um basically I got laid off of uh my first job at um video store and Basically, I lounged around all summer, and my dad said, then enough's enough. And he hooked me up with uh, one of the guys that were working at um, the university that he worked at. He was doing a project, uh, one of the electricians. And he got me, basically, to start my first trade with him. Um, He kept me on for a couple months, and unfortunately, the work dried off there. And then I moved to doing um, framing with uh, one of our mutual friends, Mike. And he taught me how to do framing and window insulation. And from there, I moved on to another electrician. And from there, I moved on to some HVAC. And from there, I moved on to some uh, laminate insulation. I've oh, wow, you've you've really ran the whole gamut of the trades eh? <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I've experienced quite uh, quite a lot of of the lower end stuff. Uh, you know, never really got. Too too deep into it, but I would say probably the most uh, in-depth knowledge I got was was uh, the electrical, uh, mostly because mm-hmm. I I took physics 12, and um, that first job that I worked at um, the the guy that was teaching me Kevin Brownley he he's a great electrician he was basically kind of doing his own solo thing, but he was doing um, commercial level stuff so he was doing um, higher voltage installations and stuff like that and. But he, he just needed a helper so he brought me on and taught me how to you know do the basics and wire plugs and all that kind of stuff but uh i was trying to he was uh pulling these three wires and and i was asking oh what's what's the deal with like the three colors and stuff like that because i mean you got your your live you neutral and your ground what's with the other right. ones and he goes oh that's the three phase and i was like oh okay um yeah so th- i remember in physics because of you know, you have to like watch the the, um, the frequency matter. So in order to keep the the power going, you you have to have these three different uh, uh, power lines coming in that are slightly out of phase in order to keep the amplitude up or whatever. It was. Right. It's been a while since I've done it. No, no, for
0: sure. Yeah, the 120 degrees out of yeah. Thing and he's like, a, "Holy crap! That like awesome.
1: that's that's like third year, you know." Thing, but, uh, you, you that, that is third year yeah so um i had a i had a great interest in in that kind of stuff but um
0: no no i i don't blame you i mean i i took physics 11 and 12 in high school too it was actually it's the only thing that i really really <laughs> did well in other than gym <laughs> that's yeah. about it um I think,
1: I think i slept through most of uh physics 12 and i still got a b yeah
0: yeah it's i i love that course and that's actually kind of what uh, really propelled me through electrical i remember starting it Literally, as, as an excuse to get out of school, like, I don't know if we didn't go to the same high school, but at Brookswood, we had that high school apprenticeship program. Mm-hmm. So through grade 11 and 12, I'd have one day at school, one day at work. And it was literally the main reason why I started it was so that I could get out of sitting in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize how mathematically involved electrical was as you got further up yeah but it uh it definitely kind of kept me hooked once like you said once you get into kind of second and third year and you start actually learning how to apply that physics to electrical it made it a lot more interesting to me for sure yeah yeah no that's yeah that's great i mean so you have a pretty pretty broad basis at least of Mm -hmm.
1: construction or blue collar work and then what are you doing now um so right now i'm working for a boat manufacturing company um Mm -hmm. up here in vernon british columbia um I initially started out actually i got hired on as a uh, emergency it guy to just kind of help out there they had a it guy i had a car accident and i just needed someone in to come in and help out do the day-to-day kind of stuff um but there came an opening for the cnc uh programmer for cutting the aluminum and i said okay well my contract's almost up for this temporary job you know let's looks kind of interesting let's let's see what what's involved and this was unfortunately just before COVID hit so i got about all oh, oh, great a month and a half of training and they shut down the plant and like laid off a good chunk of the company yeah um fortunately they, they liked me and they they uh rung me up a couple months later and said hey you know we're starting to start up again um but we we have an opening on the, as a, actually the CNC table operator. So the people that actually operate the machine and load the material and take it all apart. And mm-hmm. I said, sure, you know, i have I've got a family to take care of. I've got, I just had the, the birth of my second child and, you know, guys got to yeah. do what a guy's got to do. And I said, I, sure. I um, I mean, <laughs> Going back to you know I hate I hate the kind of work style of of doing the trades and stuff. He's like, oh yeah, so uh, start time is uh, five o'clock. Uh, I've never worked <laughs> a job that, that early. I've always been and like, like is, that, of, is that PM? Yeah, pretty much. That's, that's exactly what I did. I was like, is, is, is in the evening, right? Like the evening shift. He's like, no, no, in the morning. Like, oh, crap. Anyway, so I go to my teeth and I. I, I took I took the job because I knew I knew that it was worthwhile getting back into it and they had kind of hinted that, that they would eventually want me to get back into the programmer position anyway. Um they had they had someone else taking care of that in the meantime. But the idea was to have me tr- transition back into that as soon as um it was possible to do so. Well, that's that's good
0: to hear, man. I mean, like I know I've said it in a in a previous podcast, but I mean, a lot of guys that I know who were working kind of more technical jobs or more um, kind of office oriented, like a lot of them have kind of been reaching out, seeing if there is work to do. Like, I mean, there's always Mm -hmm. like, I mean, it's not always the nicest, cleanest work, but that kind of physical labor or the actual, you know, when you're on the shop floor doing stuff that that work kind of still does have to get done. You still have to produce everything. Um, So that's good. I mean, at least at least you've been staying busy and you've kind of kept your foot in with the company then.
1: Exactly, and I've—it's uh, kind of one of the things I've learned um, over the years is that a good reputation is very valuable. And I was known as someone who would step up and come in and do the work that needed to be done, and find ways to improve, and that's... yeah, kind of fill whatever boots needed to be filled. Yeah, for sure. That's and uh, so, yes, yeah, so go good. Ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs>
0: Oh, I was going to say, so we can kind of roll right into kind of our general topic of discussion today being uh, different teachers and mentors and how you can kind of apply that then to people who you're mentoring or you're teaching. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, across you've had a you've had a more broad experience in the trades than I have. Mine's been again, I got started with the high school apprenticeship program. So at 15, I rolled into electrical and I haven't really looked back from that. Mm -hmm. Um, But you've probably worked with wide range probably a wider range of people than I have what just I've lost count so of how many people I've worked with <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly worked with or for. yeah, and yeah. I, I, I totally hear you so I mean that's kind of the the goal for today is we're just going to talk about different teachers mentors and what they've taught us what kind of we still carry forward and um, yeah so I mean I don't know if you had anybody that kind of stuck out maybe at the beginning of getting into the workforce that kind of you obviously still have that mentality of just doing what needs to be done. And, mm-hmm. th- th- you know, was there anybody specific that kind of implanted that into you or was that from your parents? Or it, it was a bit of,
1: um, it was a bit of, uh, school of hard knocks in some ways. Um, definitely, you know, uh, one of the downsides I found to working in a trades industry is that work isn't always there or mm-hmm. at least not in this, in the way that because of the industries I was in at the time um I was with either smaller companies or you know just I was helping a guy out kind of thing versus you know working with a bigger company um yeah Thank so you. it was mostly just lessons hard learned right so the good yeah the the teacher that is life
0: Yeah. And I remember specifically, like when I started out a lot of the time, I mean, a lot of the time the first guys laid off on even big sites, too, are the lower level, the first and second year apprentices or the pre apps. Yeah, I I can totally I can totally relate to how hard it is to kind of get in and stick in with the trade, especially at the beginning, because, again, that usually the lower level guys are are the first level or the first guys who do get laid off on every site
1: yeah it's it's just unfortunately you know that's the way the, the cookie crumbles in in that kind of a of an environment um as for some of my most memorable teachers i would say uh, definitely that first electrician guy kevin he he really kind of showed me what it meant to be a hard worker in what isn't always the most fun work yep. um but he he did a good job of kind of showing me that you know yeah it might not be fun but hey we can at least have fun with it he was he was a great guy to talk with we we talked about a variety of topics and you he, he did a good job of kind of keeping my spirits up when i uh, i obviously wasn't enjoying what was going on you know <laughs> i think the second job we worked on we were in the mud and we were getting just just rained on we were um fixing um i think it was a a, a fire pump house off the side of a lake somewhere, and oh, just pull, pulling conduit, and we we're just getting rained on, and there's just cl- you know just clay everywhere, and I've never been in such a dirty job before. I I, I had been working in retail before, so it's just like my brand new boots are getting all muddy, my my nice new gloves are getting all just destroyed, and I can I can feel myself just, uh, you know, my temperature rising, just getting angry at everything, and he kind of you know talk to me and be like, Hey, it's, it's okay. It's, you know, this isn't fun. It isn't always like this, yep. you
0: know, that's a great lesson too. I remember, I remember specifically like where the tables were kind of flipped and when I was in a journeyman position, but when we were working in the oil field, a lot of the time we'd be building substations. So what, so that's basically where the incoming power from hydro is at whatever, 13,800 volts something like that and then it steps down to 5,000 volts down to 600 basically to be used Mm -hmm. on site but but I remember doing that we would do grounding grids where you would have to pound 200 I think this this specific one that we were doing was 264 rods they're 10 foot each and we were manually pounding them into the ground and that basically built the grounding around this substation right but all you're doing all day is running a jackhammer, a post pounder, and you're just literally hammering in these copper rods right down into the earth. You get 10 yeah. feet done and then you got to move on to the next and you got 264 yeah. of them to do.
1: I have, I, have a, I got a similar one when I was working for Mike, the framer and mm-hmm. I had to do all of the earthquake straps on the, on the uh, townhouses that we were building. So I'm basically sitting there in, and sometimes again, in in the rain, in the muck and just, I got uh, a—it's a strap of metal that goes up on like the multiple two by fours, and you got to put a hundred nails into it by hand. (laughs) You can't—you can't use a power tool because it—it doesn't go in properly. Uh, You just got to do it by hand with a hammer, and you know, the another one of those those, uh, life lessons is uh, repetition.
0: Yeah, and that's that's even something that I talked about, and I can't remember which one. It was one of the first ones, but how you know, at the very beginning, like you get loaded with grunt work. Like you don't get any of the gravy stuff. You don't get any of the nice work. It's all, if you're the lowest guy on the totem pole, it's the worst work. And that was the same thing that I had told these guys when we were doing the grounding grid was, I promise you every shift every day isn't going to be like this, but like just, just kind of take this and remember this because there's going to be a day where you're going to be overseeing this kind of a project. (laughs) And You have to kind of, you got to keep in mind that everybody who's doing that is, suffering is miserable like that kind of work is it's it's horrible it's it's just repetitive it's boring and it's physically demanding but yeah i mean once you get through it there are there are brighter days at the end of that tunnel but i completely can relate to you
1: oh for sure um yeah it was uh learning learning to do the hard work is not easy Uh, and once you once you learn to go at things that you're not looking forward to with a good attitude with a better attitude you know it it can change the outcome of it because you you know you, you have days where you go into work and you're just mad and the work sucks and you're just not getting along with anyone and you go home and you feel exactly the same all day versus those days that you know you go in you you grab yourself a nice cup of coffee, you say okay, you know, I got all this to do today. It's not going to be fun, but hey, I'm working with uh, what's his name and, you know, I'm sure we can have a laugh or two. Um, you know, your attitude really changes how the crappy work ends up being.
0: Oh, you're right, man. Like whether it's your personal attitude or that yeah, if you've got those guys on your crew that can just lift everybody's spirits, you you really start to appreciate them. It the the kind of the the building of the crew makes such a difference. Oh yeah, for so sure. I would I was going to go into just basically a few notes here. So I wanted to make a note that when we're talking about teachers and mentors, for me personally, anyway, I think of teachers as more of teaching a specific skill or particular lessons that are directly related to work or whatever task you're doing. Um, whereas mentors, the way that I think of them and the three kind of examples that I've laid out for today are guys who made a deeper impact on my life, kind of the way that I approach work or the way that I approach life in general, not necessarily a specific task. I mean, I've had tons of journeymen and foremen who've taught me specific skills over the years that have perfected my work. But these three guys today, it's not necessarily that they taught me the most technical applications to use at work, but they they kind of impacted the way that I viewed Everything since that they've kind of changed the my view on life or my view on work in general, and so I'm sure that you kind of have the same same ideas in mind when we're talking about our mentors. Mm-hmm. I have one guy who will go into actually I'll go into a pair of old bosses before uh, they were my they were my bosses when I worked at the mine up north. So mm-hmm. my position was the electrical supervisor for underground, and when I went up the mine, like I had essentially strictly residential and some commercial experience. Yeah. So So, this is like, well,
1: you're going in eyes wide open,
0: wide open and zero applicable knowledge to going underground. None. Like, (laughs) yeah, I I remember them even saying before I was heading up there, they said, look like the turnover rate up here is extremely high. Meaning that a lot of the guys get up there thinking they know what to expect. They get up there. It's completely different world. And most people last, you know, two to three shifts max. And that's I, I could kind of get that that's what they were expecting out of me. I mean, I was heading up to or like Smithers, BC and mm-hmm. coming from Vancouver, like they just thought I was this West Coast boy, like there's no way I'm going to hack it in the snow when it's a negative 50 degrees in the winter. Right. Yeah. But, but I must say, like those two guys, so they brought me in to do basically the residential and commercial wiring of the bunkhouses and the kitchen up there. OK, I stuck it out. We oversaw the project and then they had they instilled this confidence in me and they had this confidence in me to allow me to go underground because I asked them, I said, look, like once this project is over, meaning the kitchen and the bunkhouses, that, uh, you know, a lot of the work was transitioning to underground and I wanted to try to put my name in there rather than them hiring a new guy to give me a shot going underground.
1: Yeah, like, hey, I'm up here. Get, just let me have my have my chance.
0: <laughs> exactly. And they did it. Like I was amazed... I was amazed that they did and that they took that shot but they they let me go they gave me kind of free reign to go underground I worked alongside actually a father and son duo but when I say father and son the the son was 65 so the dad yeah the dad was I believe 87 but uh, yeah but you know what that's one thing about mining that I found is that a lot of the people up there the guys who get into it they're in it for life and it's pretty tough to bring new guys into mining for a lot of the reasons that you had said like that stuff is physically demanding like to an extreme level. And it's like that every day, all day. Yeah. It doesn't matter how far you are into the trade. You're still lugging around 200 pound pneumatic air tools. You're bashing rocks in your, you know, it's, it's all physically demanding. And so I've, I've found that the guys, and again, high turnover rate, So guys will start, and then they realize this work isn't for them and they drop out. But the guys who do do it they stick in it for life. And so, a lot of the guys up there, I'd say the average age at that mine was probably 50 to 55, oh, wow. to be honest. That's yeah. Terrifying. And yeah. Yeah. It was quite old, considering especially the work that's being done up there. Mm-hmm.
1: That's impressive. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. And so, going back to this, though, my bosses, Ty and Murray, they just gave me this confidence that I still kind of carry today that, in, you know, no matter what the task is at hand. If I don't feel that I have the right level of experience with it, I have the confidence that I can learn it, that I can get through it basically through hard work and determination. Um, so those, those two are probably my first example outside of family, obviously, because I talk about my, my dad enough on here and I, I will again, but you know, <laughs> there's only so much people want to hear about my dad. So Ty and Murray, they would be probably my first big examples of guys who instilled a lot of confidence in me
1: in the workforce. Hmm. That's uh it's it's definitely nice to have someone who believes in you when you don't even believe in yourself. Yeah, and that's a that's a great way to put it's it. It's a blessing. That's a blessing.
0: Oh yeah. i like guys when when I was questioning whether I could do something or not, you know, I'd give them a call, they were back in town. It's not like they were on site. They're back in town and uh They would kind of walk me through it, you know, give me a few pointers here and there, but then they, they really kind of took the hands off the reins and they let, let us do things the way that we felt comfortable doing them, which I found to be a massive lesson in life just to kind of, and even now, like when I'm working with apprentices or something, I'll give them an overview of the job, but I'm not going to tell them step by step how to do everything like they, could they kind of have their own methods for doing that. I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's kind of important in in allowing them to grow their skills too.
1: For sure. Um, I would say like in some ways I would, I was kind of the person who would benefit from someone who would almost be like, okay, show me how you do it. Let me watch. Let me see your process. Let me get inside your head of why you're doing what you're doing. Um, And going back to the, my first teacher that kept uh, Kevin, that electrician, he he taught me like okay, well he had this he had this nice truck of his, and he kept it immaculate, like he had everything everything had a place, everything went back where it belongs when you were done a job, and if you messed it up, he got mad. He was oh, I'm doing- jealous, I wish I had that gene he, <laughs> he definitely instilled the idea because uh flash f- forward to when I was doing the hVAC I ended up having to doing inventory on some of the guys' uh trucks as one of my grunt work jobs, mm-hmm. and some of them were basically like hoarders, like All right, and I'm learning about parts that I've you know never held before in my life, and I'm trying to figure out what it what it is and what it's called and what it's measured and how it's designated so I can write it on a piece of paper and say, Hey, he's got you know five of these, and I don't even know, you know what, what I mean? it's called.
0: So and meanwhile you're trying to sift through a mountain of garbage in the back of somebody's van.
1: Literally. Yeah. It was oh yeah. Literally a pile of garbage in the back of the van.
0: <laughs> I was, well, I've had journeymen like that.
1: I was cleaning up receipts. I was dusting off nasty looking parts that were still usable. And I asked him, like, hey, like this looks like crap. Can I just chuck it? He's like, no, no, no. That's like a that's like a twenty dollar part. You gotta like you gotta you gotta count it and yeah so learning to be clean and you know having having purpose in your the way that you do your you know the small tasks and stuff that you're going to learn to do on on a job is you know that's another thing that I would consider very important that someone who mentors you would do uh, versus yeah. and you know yeah you can classify him as a teacher in that that instance but he the mentality of how he got it done wasn't just like, oh, things go here and this goes there and that goes there. It was like, okay, the reason why I do this is so that I can go home at the end of the day and not tear my hair out the next day because I didn't put something back in the right spot and I can't find it now.
0: I think that's a really good distinction too, is when you can understand the reason behind it, not necessarily just that they tell you how to do it, but you understand
1: why you're doing it. Totally. it's it's a, It's a mindset that going in, if you don't have that in place, it it can be hard to build up from the ground up and having someone, you know, even if they're not necessarily holding your hand, but holding your hand at the beginning Mm -hmm. just to get you to that, that mindset is a huge boon. And if you, if you have someone in your life that is, is uh, clean and, and uh, detail oriented, you know, listen to them because they will do good things for you in your life.
0: I think that's a great cl- clarification to make too. That you're right in saying that you do need to be shown step by step, kind of how to do it at the beginning. That's that's a great clarification that I missed on pointing out. But uh, yeah, that's a good point because you do obviously need to know how to do it properly. Mm-hmm. And then it's and then it's allowing people to kind of build their own processes that I found to be really helpful anyway, and that I try to pass on to apprentices now. But that's yeah, that's a great point. And I, yeah, I agree about the the cleanliness and the organization. It comes it comes to more than just just kind of running a clean truck, but even your organization on site where you're putting materials, they, the organization of step by step by step, this is how it has to get done. So I think, I think that's great. I think that's a really great point to bring up.
1: And there's nothing more embarrassing when you can't find something, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're show someone, you know, you, you're trying to trying to show them a job or something like that, and you're, you're busy scrambling around i because I've, I've been there and it sucks.
0: Or, yeah, oh. as an apprentice, when you're told to go grab something from the truck and you can't find it, you feel like an idiot. And then you get back oh. and it's like, oh, I'm sorry. God. It took me 20 minutes to find this one part. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah, so I think the the next guy, and ironically, I mean, all three of these guys I worked with, uh, they were out of town. They were uh, remote camp work, that where I met them. Um, but I found, yeah, and like I've kind of talked about on here before, a lot of those deeper conversations, I you don't really have them a ton on average job sites that I've found anyway. It was kind of in that second to third week when people started breaking down and getting really lonely, you'd kind of, you'd open up to each other because that was your support network. So a lot of these guys on my list anyway were guys I met out of town just because, you know, you really end up leaning on each other for more than just work information, but for personal support too. So my next one was a foreman that I had. His name was Jerry. And if, when I talked to my old bosses, like they said this guy was like Mensa level smart, like when they were sending him to site. And I, oh, wow. sh- I shit you not, I have never worked with anybody as smart as this guy in my life. Like pick any topic, any topic on the planet and he'll have a stat for it, that stat for it. This is when it happened. This is how it
1: happened. You know, this is why. I this is it
0: happens,
1: Sorry. I, I love those guys. Those are, those are oh. the best kind of people.
0: Oh man. And he was like self-admitted, like ADD, like he was hyperactive and he was, how old have you been? He would have been 45 ish. When we worked together, I would have been mid twenties, early Uh twenties. And, but this guy, man, he was incredible. And so obviously I learned a ton of technical skills from him. He knew everything, any question I would ask him electrically speaking, whether it be power distribution or anything any of the applicable math, he knew it all. No matter what I asked him, he had, he had an answer for it and he would point to it in a code book or in in a rule book somewhere and tell me kind of where to research it further. That guy, more than anything, he taught me how to socialize up north Mm -hmm. as, as as smart as he was and as like he, when I say quirky, I mean, (laughs) like (laughs) he would tell, he would, he would tell stories that would have the whole lunchroom rolling. Like we'd have 60 nice. people in the lunchroom and he'd have a, he'd be holding court with at least half of them and everybody's just dying laughing but he awesome. yeah so he really and I know I've mentioned it in a previous podcast but when I first went up north I was really awkward I mean I'm not a I'm not an overly social person anyway but uh that was at a wet camp and so I kind of hit the booze a bit more trying to loosen up trying to get to know people mm-hmm. and seeing the way that Jerry and Jerry was um dry he never he didn't drink anything um so he he kind of swore off that stuff and i kind of picked up on that without him even having to say anything he didn't he never chastised me for drinking up there i just picked up on kind of the lesson that he was laying out every day Mm -hmm. and i just saw the way he'd relate to people uh kind of the openness that he had with everybody and that's kind of how he built that rapport was that he did he wasn't closed off there was no like macho-ness about him he was just himself and that really endeared him to everybody on site so that was something that I kind of tried to emulate from that point on I mean I didn't do it as well as him I'm not that social but it was it was a lesson that I really take forward today and I try to try to apply it to apprentices or to whoever I'm working with on site to really just you know be who you are be honest Uh, there's no point in trying to act hard when you're on site
1: yeah there's 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 a um, the bravado isn't always yeah. going to be your your best ally in situations and and sometimes uh the the hardest lessons come from the most humble people because they've been humbled by truth and they've been humbled by a situation that brought them down a peg and they it, the smart people will be the ones who listen to that and go okay um i made this mistake because i was too proud or i i was too I was too full of myself and yeah. man, there's nothing like a, a kick in the butt from a life lesson to, yeah. to bring you back down and then make you humble.
0: Well, yeah. And I, I think that's why, like, I think the, my third guy who I'm going to mention, and I know that he listens to the podcast, so I'm, I'm leaving him for last because he's going to appreciate it. <laughs> but like, so the average age, I mean, my two bosses, they were, the, the one of them was younger he was probably 35 and then the other guy was about 50 like i said jerry was about 45 to 50 and then peter who I'll get into in a few minutes but peter was god he had to be 65 70 and he's going to i'm going to hear about this too cuz <laughs> he hates being called old but uh but he was up there and i but i found that i really i kind of related to and tried to soak up as inf- as much information as i could from the older guys on site they just because like you said I mean they've probably been kicked in the ass a few times by life they've kind of been through it all and there's a lot of knowledge and wisdom you can soak up just by working side by side with them so Peter if if I'm going to give a background on Peter he was he's probably the most interested one of the most interesting guys I've ever worked with like kind of this list but him and Jerry really stand out to me Jerry just because of the intelligence level Peter was smart as a whip too but this guy so his, his goal on this one site that we were on, we worked together, I think, in total for about eight months. Um, but, but then he got sent off to another site. But his goal at this site was to get fired because in his 40-ish years in the trade, he had never been fired from any any site, any company. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. And so we, had, uh, we were working at a dry camp, dry site, obviously. Nobody's drinking on site. He would he would take the the company van. He was LOA, so the lockout authority for site. So he knew oh, kind wow. of where all the feeders were. He'd make sure that we'd have all of our tags on. We were locked out. He was pretty high up, so he had his own his own van to come to site. Everybody knew which one was his, and he would roll up. and I remember one time he had all these empty beer cans in there because I mean he's he knew how to get booze in, right? Like he just he had a couple of pops after work, right? Nothing nothing big. He rolled up to camp with. A truck full of empties opens his door and two or three just roll out in front, in front of site supers and everybody. And he like, and we knew this is going to happen. He said, I think this is the last day of one of the shifts. And he's like, look, I'm getting fired this weekend or this week. That That's it. I got to get out of here. So they see it. Our safety authority comes up just quickly after everybody's in their meetings, quickly grabs all these cans, throws them into bags, cleans out his van and takes off, takes them off site. Right. And Mm -hmm. nobody ever said a word about it again. Peter was just that guy. Like he was, he was so smart. He was so, so important on site. Like we couldn't, you couldn't get away without your LOA. He knew the ins and outs of that site, how all the service feeders were ran. He knew it all. So there was no way he was really getting fired from site, but he loved to push it.
1: And Mm -hmm. it was so
0: refreshing to work with him. I, so I worked side by side with him. He actually taught me how to do a lot of the high voltage connections we were doing. Um, what we would call, we were doing the motor connections, you call them peckerheads, but it's basically the junction box off of these big motors. And we were doing 5,000 horsepower, 5,000 volt motors that were the size of a Volkswagen bus. Yeah,
1: Those he's teaching Western you how to become a stain on the wall. Sorry? He's teaching you how to not become a stain on the wall.
0: Yeah, so we, we were wiring in these massive motors and these big pecker heads and getting the cables in, I mean, I'll spare you most of the details, but these cables are... Uh, probably between four to six inches in diameter across. Yeah. Massive, massive cables. And you've got about 16 inches to land it from where it comes out of the concrete into the, into the, uh, the pecker head. So anyway, we were doing all this.
1: That's tight.
0: Oh oh, yeah. So each of these, yeah, like one box would take us tween. So a a day was 12 hours. It would take us 12 to 18 hours per box. Right. And it's just two cables entering in, have to terminate them properly, get it signed off. But this guy, so the, the general consensus anywhere you go is you do not want to actually have your name on anything. Cause if anything blows up, they know it's you, right? Like we had one where a guy accidentally left, um, he left a wrench across terminals. He was tightening up basically where these main lines went into this transformer, left his wrench across the terminals. We went to fire the power. Boom. Obviously blew it right up. Dead short. 5,000 volts. Kaput. Jeez. And, uh, yeah, and everybody knew who it was, right? So, anyway, so the general consensus is you never want it known what you're working on. But Peter would sign his initials in every single termination that he did. The back of at the back of each box, it was PW PW, and I was working side by side with him. I was like, why Why are you doing that? And he he just had. I mean, a he knew what he was doing, like back of his hand, and he really taught me to take pride in your work. And that's something that I will always remember is seeing him sign his initials in every single connection Mm -hmm. point that he made. I'd never seen that before. And I haven't seen it since where anybody wants to really take that level of ownership over their work. If anything goes wrong, well, that guy did it. His initials are literally inside the box. And so Was one lesson that I really took from Peter um, is to just, and he also he had a great outlook on life. Like he was there to have fun, no matter what was happening, what we were doing on site, whatever the weather was. I mean, we're talking negative forty-five in the middle of a windstorm. He had the best outlook on life. He, He nothing could bring him down. And those are the two things I think that I remember most about him was just always picking out the positives and to really take pride and take ownership of the work that you do. So. That's why I kind of wanted to save him for last. And I know he's listening, so I'm going to hear about this. But (laughs) yeah, so Peter, you definitely left a lasting impression on me.
1: I just out of curiosity, when was the last time you saw him? Saw him would have been,
0: Jesus, probably 2000, 2015. No, it would have been before then. Ah, Sometime around then, probably 2014, 2015. But uh, again, like I've talked to him every week when these podcasts drop because he has inters and notes and I really appreciate it but yeah like he's, uh, he's an awesome guy so he's somebody who I've still kept in contact with despite only working together for yeah six to nine months somewhere in there.
1: It's amazing how that short amount of time you know people say oh you know you, you work for so long and you learn these lessons over a long time. It's like no you the, the things that you learn the most come in very short bursts.
0: Yeah. And it's, again, I mean, it's something that I try to kind of reiterate, but working, working in those remote locations, you really are each other's support network. You get to know each other fast when you're spending 24 hours a day, you know, whatever, maybe 16 hours a day minus eight for sleeping, but you get to know people really fast. Like that, that kind of facade drops pretty quick.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any, any kind of, uh, attitude is, uh, <laughs> peeled away eventually.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Usually by the end of the first shift, everybody's kind of got a, a decent idea of who you are.
1: Uh question for you. Have you sure. run into have you run into a teacher or a mentor of yours that didn't know who you were? Like previously I had no idea who they were. No no like so so say like you run into your fifth grade history teacher or something like that and they were—they made a big impact on your life, but they have no idea who you are because, well, as a teacher, they go through hundreds of kids a year. Oh, you know that, what? Have you ever I think... that?
0: Yeah, I have. My grade 11 high school teacher, um, actually my physics teacher, Mr. Dennis, uh, I ran into him recently. I think he was teaching my brother. When I say recently. It was probably eight years ago now. It all seems to blur, but... <laughs> Yeah, like <laughs> it recently is sometime in the last decade. But I did run into him while my brother was at school. And uh I said it right away. I'm like, Hey, Mr. Dennis, and you could see I could see in his eyes that he he obviously knew that I was a student. Did it click? No, it didn't. And it didn't uh felt kind of stupid. But, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I, I understand he had I don't know he had there were 30 kids just in my class alone. And he was teaching four of those a day every year. So
1: I had that happen with, uh, I think it was my grade four teacher. Um, She did not remember who I was. And, but she was one of the first teachers I had after moving to Canada. Um, One thing I haven't told you about is I actually moved here from South Africa with my family when I was seven years old. Oh, I didn't Uh, know that at all. I forgot to tell you that story. Uh, Anyway, that's that's for another day. Um good. anyway so she was she was one of the first teachers I had here in Canada and she had kind of helped um acclimatize me to the differences that we had here and the way that school was different here compared to South Africa and not that she had any idea she'd never been there herself um but it just kind of it almost hurt a little bit that she didn't recognize me or, or rem- How old were you when you
0: when you saw her again
1: Um so it was about um, I think I went back as soon as I got my um, my driver's license. So it wasn't like too far; like it was only like, six or seven years after the fact. But it
0: right, was... it's not like you got a beard at that point or anything.
1: No, but it was it was a little weird to to go to this this woman who had helped you know one of the most formative years of my life, mm-hmm. and she didn't she didn't remember me. Yeah, and it's just kind of it, it was kind of one of those little life lessons that like. Man, just th- those 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 memories fade and you might not be as important to someone as you think you are. Yeah. You know what? That's that's interesting. And I'm
0: have, has it ever happened to the flip side where somebody comes up to you and remembers you and you have no idea
1: who they are? Once or twice, but I'm I'm really bad with um with names. I'm usually pretty good with faces. Um I had one person who came up to me but they I think it was a case of mistaken identity. Okay. So it was kind of like, because um, they asked me, oh, did you go to the school? I can't remember what school they said, but they're like, oh, did you, remember, did you go to the school? Do you remember? I, I was in your, your history class. I was like, "That's sorry, no. <laughs> I have no idea who you are or where I know you from. And it's just kind of like, okay. You were just kind of both shrugged it off and went our ways. But no, yeah. I can't say I've, I've experienced the flip side.
0: Oh, that's. But it's funny too, because like even even right away, you you know we're we're able to build kind of reasons why we don't remember them, but but we don't necessarily like we take it almost as an insult when somebody doesn't remember us. But when you think about For it, sure. if, if the shoes on the other foot, it's like oh, there's tons of reasons why I might not, and there's tons of reasons why she may not have either. Right, like the same kind of thing that I thought with Mister Dennis. It's like well, he's had I don't know he has 120 students that he teaches every year, and it's been. Ten yeah. years since I graduated.
1: That's got to be quite the mental toll on on our school teachers' minds, just trying to keep all them. there. I mean, it's hard enough probably keeping them track track of them during the year, let alone oh, yeah. you know years after the fact. Unless there was yeah. a memorable one. Um, I will now tell you a story of the difference between a good teacher and a bad teacher.
0: Oh yeah, sounds good.
1: So, a couple years ago, we went to our ten uh ten year um reunion for our school and one of the more troubled uh kids during school had shown up and he had he brought ice cream for us. It was a nice summer day. We were all kind of having a barbecue. He brought he brought the big tub of ice cream and and the teacher said something. I'm not gonna repeat it just because I don't want to give it away, but he said something to the fact of like I'm I'm amazed you're alive still.
0: Wow, this was how long after
1: you guys were in school? ten year, ten Oh, your uh, ten year reunion. Okay, ten year reunion. And I was just flabbergasted that someone who we had looked up to and and had respected to uh, respected as as uh, a youth uh, could say something like that to someone who had brought us ice cream on a hot day. Hmm. Um. It, another one of those life lessons like people that you look up to you know the, the kind of a trope at this point you know you hear never meet your heroes um cuz one was a, a bit of a shocker like he this this poor kid he didn't grow up with a lot of the privilege that the other students that we you know at that particular school had gone had grown up with and yeah he maybe had made the, the most of his life but He's still a friendly dude. He said he he was still saying hi to everyone and trying to be sociable. And you can kind of tell he had turned a, a corner for the better. But here's, a you know, someone we looked up to and he's saying this nasty th- comment to someone, even if he was joking, it was just kind of, it was so off color. And you're right. It's just like, why would, why would you even think to say something like that?
0: I agree. And after all those years to, to kind of come up with that kind of a quip, that's, yeah, that's brutal. I mean, that's that kind of shows you what he really thought of him. And I mean, I get it. Teachers are human too. But yeah, that's pretty rough. Yeah, like I had I had one teacher who was pretty bad. It was my I'm not going to mention her name either. But she was my English teacher for grade 12. And I mean, you know, like our one mutual friend, like me and Ian were inseparable in high school. And so we, we were sitting <laughs> together and we would goof off all day like Neither of us shut up. We were just yapping, 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 yapping at the back of the class. I'm sure you
1: were, you guys were making South Park jokes the whole time.
0: Oh, I'm I'm sure South Park, Family Guy, Borat, any of it. I'm sure of it. Yeah. But they're nice. Yeah, they're nice. <laughs> I like. But uh, oh man, speaking of which, I can't wait. Uh, what is it? October twenty third, I think. Borat two comes South out Park. to prime. Oof, so excited. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, so within the first week of grade twelve English, which is one of your core classes you need to pass to graduate Mm -hmm. uh she split me and Ian up i went to the front of the class ian stayed at the back of the class anyway one month left well because you were troublemakers let's just be honest let's be honest (laughs) we were we were in the back corner we'd yap all day but uh anyway so i got i got shifted to the front of the class there's one month left to class it's grade 12 nobody cares at this point right everybody's kind of just primed to get out of high school get on with life and so she says you know all right, everybody can kind of go sit wherever they want to sit. And so I kind of picked up my books. I wasn't being rowdy or anything. I picked up my books, started to walk towards the back of the class. There was still that empty seat next to Ian. And she stops me. She says, Zach. I'm like, yeah. She's like, everybody but you. I'm like, uh, what? Like, and to be honest, like, I, I wasn't a great student, especially especially in English. And I was <laughs> I was pretty bad. Like when it came to, as soon as that happened in the first, first couple of weeks, I, I think I was sitting at 37% on the year in English, but the saving grace for English. And I knew this was that the provincial final made up for 30% of your overall grade. So I knew, I knew that I could pick that grade up. And she said to me, um, kind of, it was later that same day because I, I ended up storming out of the class at that point, you know, angsty teenager, Uh, you know, (laughs) I stormed out of the class. Uh, and then, came up to me in the last week and she goes, "Oh, you know, I'm not really looking forward to seeing you here back there next year." So, what are you talking about? She's like, "Well, you're sitting at 37%, you're not passing this year. Like there's just no way you're going to do it." And I was like, "Okay." I took that as a challenge, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I know that whatever I finished up with the year, I know that I got 98% on My provincial final for English like it was never the fact that I didn't know how to write or that I didn't understand English it's that you just didn't care and I resented her so deeply (laughs) that I wanted nothing more as soon as she said that I knew that I was passing that that class like I'm like there's no way that I'm failing this class now now that you've set laid that out for me I'm acing this final um, but yeah, but it was. I mean, and that's that's one of the lessons I talk about learning. Like, I definitely held a lot of resentment to her for that whole year, <laughs> and that's something I try not to do now. But, um, but yeah, it made for an interesting graduation, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting when you have a teacher who just doesn't quite hold the um. Brain farting the word that I'm trying to think of here, the the gusto, the, they, you know, they have that arrogance about them that because they're a teacher oh, that yeah. they, oh, they're going to go out and change lives. And they have that, that moral mentality.
0: high ground kind of mentality. When it,
1: yeah. When they, when it falls flat on their face and, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. Cause that's another life lesson, like learning, learning that, you know, when people make mistakes, how they, handle themselves when they've made a mistake is is uh, a good way to become a better person right so oh yeah did, did you ever run into her after the fact or
0: Just a graduation, and she had nothing to say to me. (laughs) Didn't even look at me as you you walked across the (laughs) exactly. uh, I walked across the stage, collected my diploma, walked right past her. There was nothing. Giving her the the mad
1: dog face.
0: (laughs) Oh, I, I know, I know. I mean, I was seventeen and an absolute tool, but I'm sure that I glared at her. But yeah, uh, no, we didn't say anything else, and I haven't seen her since. But. But uh, that's definitely something I've gotten over. And now it's just, it's hilarious to look back on. I mean, also I'm 17. Like, what do I know? My brain isn't even formed at that point.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's going to be interesting as, uh, as dad's going into the, you know, the school situation now from the other side of the, of the triangle, if you want to call it. See how, okay, you can go, oh, my kid's going to love this teacher or going to hate this teacher. And it's going to be interesting. I'm. I uh, guess you guys are almost uh, starting that.
0: Oh, yeah. We've got a nine-year-old, four-year-old who just started kindergarten. He's a December baby, so he's nearly a year younger than some of the kids, but uh, he's liking it. But, oh, yeah. And, I mean, the interesting thing, too, with the kids, like, I know know, I had a lot of siblings growing up, so I was the oldest, but my sisters would kind of get the same teachers, and they'd be like, oh, you're Zach's sister. And, I mean, for some of them, that was a good thing for several of them it was a bad thing but but uh, but now like seeing my boys like they all have such different personalities like our first one going through is very artistic very caring very empathetic he's um i think he's gonna make a really good impression on the teachers same with our second one actually he's very calm he's very kind he's he's very caring but then by the time our third one rolls through there he is a wrecking ball like he is those teachers will not know what hit them and I cannot wait to see the reaction to that
1: uh, yeah that's uh, that's something worth uh, you know sign up for this for next episode of <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah 10 how,
0: years down the road I'll give an update on how our uh, how our two-year-old <laughs> completely wrecked his elementary school
1: episode 5000 yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs>
0: Oh, that kid! I, we can't wait. Like we, me and my wife, talk about it all the time. That he's just—he's got such a personality about him. But we know he, he's going to give us the most calls from from school. Absolutely.
1: What do you What do you plan to teach your children about um, how to deal with a bully?
0: Oh, that one's been tricky already because I don't really know, like, what your experience was in high school or not high school. Sorry, elementary school, but I don't remember really bullying taking place until I don't know I want to say 10 to 12 somewhere in that range is kind of where I remembered it starting to where you could really identify the bullies in the class Mm -hmm. Um, but with our oldest man it started at kindergarten grade one like um you know the they he wasn't necessarily the victim of bullying but he was kind of uh, no he was but the way that he kind of reacted to it and we we really sat him down and talked to him about it but he kind of joined in on it as a lot of kids do um
1: yeah it's a, it's a survival mechanism
0: yeah rather than they don't want to be the target of this so they so he kind of he joined in we had a call from i think what is his grade one teacher so yeah would have been about six and uh we sat him down at home and we had a huge talk, but it's so hard to instill that in kids too. Like our main our main kind of message for that was that you don't ever have to be a follower. You don't have to follow the crowd. Like you're, you are who you are and you're going to kind of find your own tribe at one point and you're going to find mm-hmm. people who are like-minded. And we also try to keep in mind like we really try to get him to put his kind of thought process in what it's like to be that kid who is being bullied, who is at the bottom Mm -hmm. of that totem pole. And when yeah, like it, it's tough to, but it's really tough to relay that to a six year old because they have no, they have no larger scope of what's about to come. What's what the rest of their years in school are going to be like. And they don't really, they haven't, like I said, like he is a very empathetic, caring kid, but they, their kind of sense of empathy only goes so far where they can't really put themselves into the shoes of other people yet. At least that's what I've found, but that's kind of our, the biggest thing we've preached and we haven't had any calls again in the last two and a half years since then uh that was kind of the one and only yeah. moment so it, it obviously it stuck something but that's uh um, yeah. yeah that's kind of where
1: how we kind of approach it i mean your
0: kids are younger still but yes yeah
1: just to for the audience i have a two and a half year old and a five month old oh. Yeah
0: yeah so both in, boys yeah oh yeah and i got four <laughs> boys so all boys like it's gonna be yeah. a blast But uh. I mean, that's, you're going to, I found it really tough to deal with. I, so before we got the call that he was joining in on the bullying, we got the call that he was being bullied because these are about two weeks apart, right? Like I said, he kind of, he ended up joining in to kind of get out of the crosshairs of the other kids. Yes. Dealing with him being bullied. I found a lot easier to kind of talk to him about it because I mean, I was bullied as a kid. I graduated. I was five foot four. I was shortest kid in class all the way through school I grew after yeah, I had, I had on you on that at that point yeah yeah like I mean now I'm I mean my wife yes. will say I'm whatever but I'm I'm five nine now <laughs> I like to tell her I'm five <laughs> ten but we both know I'm full of shit so I'm, I'm about five nine and um but yeah like when I graduated I was the smallest kid through school I got bullied a lot especially kind of in later elementary school and then when I changed schools in grade i been in grade seven going to a new school and at 12 years old, like that's kind of why in my mind, I relate into 12 to being that age where bullying kind of started. Yeah, Cause I think I, I yeah. changed schools at that point. So I, I got, got a bit of it. Yeah. So I found it really easy to relate and really easy to talk to him as a victim of the bully. I found it really tough and almost aggravating hearing that he had bullied somebody else. Mm-hmm. you know like i'm sure that when i was younger i did flip it on some
1: people and like i i've always been I've, a bit I've, of... been, I've been on both sides of it i've i've been a victim and i've and i've been someone who joined in on the just kind of the the light harassment yeah. sometimes medium harassment yeah. i never i never took anything too far like some some of the stuff i'm hearing about like the cyberbullying and stuff like that's just oh. like wow we are so lucky we didn't grow up with any of that stuff. I I had a little bit of the cyberbullying. I had someone like message me on MSN Messenger and like they Ooh, had made a fake throwback or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> 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 it's with the MSN noise here.
0: Oh, yeah, uh, back
1: in the day. Yeah. Um, and kids back in the day, you know, total anonymity was a thing. <laughs> you know, we had no idea of finding out who you were or anything along those lines and yeah so someone had made made a fake account and they were sending me just kind of weird weird messages and like just like asking me oh who do you like and they knew me by name but i didn't know who they were mm-hmm. and just kind of like i was curious enough to kind of pay attention but it's like i didn't really mm-hmm. know what was going on like who is this what like what's going on sure. um yeah like the cyber the cyberbullying bullying today is like man people kids are like really hurting themselves over some of this stuff. And it's just like, how do we teach our kids like, Oh, okay. Well, it's not the end of the world when, you know, you're going to get through this and it sucks, but I know. And it's,
0: yeah, that's, that's kind of what we we're trying to build the backdrop for with our son too, is just this idea that, you know, be who you be, who you are. Like you're gonna, you're going to attract people. People are going to kind of gravitate towards you and, because that's the same thing that I had too. I mean I, I the same experience as you. I mean I I know that I joined in on a little bit. I was always a bit of a smart ass, so I'm sure I've made comments
1: here and there. Um but I, I can Imagine you with you being with Ian too. As much as yeah. I love that dude, he he can be able, he he actually kind of uh, bugged me when we were younger and <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, so him him and him and Mike um who eventually became my the boss who who was teaching me how to be a framer, mm. uh, him and Ian were kind of they when they were thick as thieves when we were at church and stuff together. They would they would kind of pick on me a little bit, and but you know you you, you change as you grow older. And hey, he's now one of my best friends. Oh so
0: yeah, uh, I think, goes to- yeah, absolutely. Like you were saying, like yeah, people grow, people change, and I mean like I. I was uh speaking actually back to cyberbullying. I was reading this one book you would probably find fascinating. It's not marketed as a parenting book at all. It's a psychology book, but it goes into exactly what you're talking about with cyberbullying and the effects of social media on um specifically it's talking about Gen Z. So the kids who were born kinda of ninety four, ninety five and on who grew up with the iPhone. Yeah. Um, but just the effects I was I keep looking at my bookcase because I know it's in there, but uh but anyway, it's called The Coddling of the American Mind. And it's it's incredible the detail that it goes into and how basically the gap between even us born in 89 to kids born in 94, 95, because they were 11 and 12 yeah. just entering high school as the iPhone became popular. And so it's, man, it is incredible. I definitely recommend picking that, that book up basically to any parent. It's not marketed as a parenting book, but it's got more parental guidance. Than- Get you in
1: that head the mindset
0: of what yeah. it's like yeah and it's uh it's written by by two psychologists i believe but it's it's incredible and it's yeah it, it if you're ever interested in really ha- hearing like a diagnostic breakdown of that i definitely recommend picking up that book it's incredible it sounds good oh so, i don't know it's getting uh A little bit later here, I should probably get to bed. I got to be up at 4.30 tomorrow for work. So
1: (laughs) sorry to keep going.
0: No, no worries. Speaking of those, uh, those early morning starts, um, mine are still going. Mm -hmm. So, well, thank you, Jaunty for coming on. That one ran a little bit longer than the other ones, but maybe if any of you guys have any feedback, if that length is all right, or if it's too long, maybe let me know in the email that I provide or comments, messages, whatever. Uh, let me know what you guys thought of that episode. I personally really enjoyed it. I enjoy talking to Jaunty, so thanks again for coming on. And uh, that's it for today. I hope you guys found some value in this week's episode. Uh, if you did and are interested in more content like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. I really appreciate all the feedback you guys have given me to this point and look forward to hearing from you again. As always, the podcast page is The Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Facebook and at Jacket Plaid on Twitter. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for the continued support and especially to those of you who reach out weekly with comments on each episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon.